If you're looking for premium quality vitamins and natural supplements, New Roots Herbal has you covered. Proudly Canadian and family owned for over 35 years, their dedication to quality and testing truly sets them apart. Each ingredient is rigorously tested by their ISO accredited lab from raw materials to final products. So you get exactly what is promised on the label, pure and potent ingredients safe from heavy metals, pesticides, and toxic chemical solvents guaranteed. New Roots Herbal products are available exclusively at health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. U.S. residents can now find New Roots Herbal products on Amazon.com. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. If you followed me over from Talk Healthy Today, I am so glad. And if you have been a listener of Naturally Savvy for the past nine years or for the past, I don't know, nine weeks or whatever it's been, it's still going to be the same great show. Andrea, who is a creator of NaturallySavvy.com, will be joining me from time to time, but I will be the primary host, just like on Talk Healthy Today. And I'm just so excited. I just read a fantastic book. I mean, like, blew me away. Fantastic. It is called Radical Intimacy. Cultivate the deeply connected relationships you desire and deserve. It is by Zoe Coors. Zoe is a resident sex and intimacy coach at sexual wellness app Coral and the former senior editor of LA Yoga Magazine. In addition to a thriving private practice, Zoe offers her services through Center for Relational Healing, which specializes in the treatment of sex addiction and betrayal trauma. Zoe's also the host of the Radical Intimacy Podcast. Zoe, I'm so excited to have you on Health Power. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's such a great book. I took so many notes. Okay, so first of all, I love this. You write, our Thunderbolt 140-character hyper-stimulating same-day delivery mobile order half-calf vente one pump of sugar-free vanilla coconut milk latte kind of world provides an environment and inhospitable to intimacy with others, with ourselves. Wow. That is a mouthful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's so true. But yeah, I mean, isn't that... The, just the way that you're saying that is evokes the feeling that most of us operate in now. I mean, it's, you know, it's culturally normal and reinforced and actually required that we juggle a million things, you know, yeah. we end up skimming the surface of our lives. It's so true. I love this too. You write, as nourishing as intimacy is, it remains one of the most confounding of all human experiences. So what makes it so confounding? Well, I think because we um, because we long for it, we crave it, we want human connection, we want to feel seen, and we want to see the people who we're with to have that deep shared experience, and um, and we're terrified of it. We're terrified of it. We 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 don't really have practiced ways of um, accessing vulnerability and getting comfortable with the discomfort of being seen. So we want to be seen and then we're terrified of it at the same time. It was interesting when you wrote about your ex-husband, Vic, you said there's three words that stood out, deflection, denial, and distraction. And you go into that deeper into the book. Tell us a little bit about what was going on with with, with Vic and with you, if you don't mind, and, and why those three words are kind of like pretty descriptive. Sure. Um, so Vic, um, Vic and I got married in our 20s and um, we remain super close friends. I was just texting him yesterday, oh, as great. a matter of fact. Um, and we share a daughter who's now 25. Um, but when we were in our 20s, um, we we were married for 10 years, and it was a sexless marriage, a dead bedroom, as they say. Um, and it was because of me. Um, I mean, he had plenty of sex drive and really wanted to have sex and I was completely shut down. Um, and I really didn't, I really didn't understand why I had been a very healthy, sexually healthy teenager. Um, just grew up around a lot of sex positivity and, um, had a lot of experiences in my life, surviving cancer, a bunch of different things. I was very aware and awake and knew myself well. And yet I couldn't understand how I was crazy about Vic. Um, he's a great guy. We were like brother and sister, which is I think part of the the issue in the end. Um, but there was no one really I could talk to about it. 
um, there was no, there, you know, I talked to my gynecologist and she ran a bunch of blood tests at my request. Um, she said, I, I, I know you're, you're normal and it's gotta be an issue with the relationship. And I went to a therapist, I went to a, a psychiatrist actually, who was fabulous, but he really couldn't, he talked to me a lot about the, the, the relational dynamics, but not really how that sort of distilled down into sex. And so it set me on a path of like trying to sort of grok the, the nature of sexuality um, and how it really shows up in real time, in real life, you know, not just the science behind it, not just the relational dynamics, but the whole thing. Um, in doing that work, I kind of came to what I call the trifecta of anti-intimacy. And it really starts with ourselves. I mean, it starts with, I mean, these, these words apply to the relationship itself, but these are three things that we really do to ourselves. So denial, pretending that everything is okay, you know, like not wanting to face the uncomfortable things that are not working, that are painful, that are, that you're, you know, we have shame. I had a lot of shame around the fact that I didn't want to sleep with my husband and I didn't know why. Um, and that ends up feeling a little bit like gaslighting ourselves, right? you know? Um, do we want to talk about what gaslighting means or is that a big enough, is that a common enough? For me, it's something that I feel like I'm seeing it everywhere now, yeah. but that doesn't mean that other people are. So thank you for that. So gaslighting is taken from the 1944 film Gaslight and it's used to describe like manipulative narcissistic behavior um, when someone systematically disables someone close to them um, by invalidating their experiences or their memories or their understanding of events um, or their world really. And, and so like people who are being gaslit will often say like, am I crazy? You know, like what I, I thought I remembered this, but my partner or this person in my, it's usually a partner is it, like is saying no, like, and so, or, and so that happens a lot when someone is in a being manipulative and abusive in a relationship, you know, where there's sort of a, um, you know, where, where were you? I thought you told me you were going to be home. No, I was at, the, you know, so, um, when we deny what's really going on with us, there's a cognitive dissonance that feels like, um, like we're gaslighting ourselves, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to admit this. Everything's fine. And there's no problems here when actually there is a problem and we feel there's a problem, but we're just too afraid to deal with it. Um, that's denial. Deflection is when we sort of, we, we are upset or angry or emotional or having a reaction to something other than what we're really having a reaction to, right? So in the book, I talk about a woman whose husband leaves her for another woman, and she's much more angry at the other woman than she is at her, at her husband, um, and even at herself for living in, you know, a decade of denial, about what was really going on in their relationship. Um, just another way of sort of channeling our energy somewhere slightly less painful. Yeah. <laughs> um, distraction. We all know distraction well. You know, it's the, it's the gallon of ice cream on the couch and the reality show and the you know, and, and even it can show up with like a mother who's obsessed with her kids and sacrifices everything and, you know, just channels everything through, you know, raising kids. And, um, I say a mother that could be a father too, although it's generally not a trait we see, a behavior we see in fathers as much as mothers. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it can be a workaholic. It can be a lot of things that, that can, you know, 
disguise themselves as benevolent behaviors, but actually, you know, done to the extent of, of distraction, it's, it's not. Um, so that's, yeah, I realized that that's what was going, you know, some of that was what led me to the place that I was with my husband after 10 years. And I really felt, and I did end up leaving him to find somebody to love him the way he deserved to be loved. Yeah. And that that's really hard, but it's better for both of you, right? Yeah. I think that's the thing when you're in it and you think, oh gosh, it's going to hurt them so much. And we've already been together, you know, this amount of time and what's going to happen. And it's like, yeah, he, he deserves someone who wants to have sex with them and you deserve to be with somebody you want to have sex with. And it doesn't mean you don't love them. It's just something isn't right. I mean, you mentioned that brother-sister dynamic. Yeah. I mean, what ended up happening there is um, I I did do enough work with my very capable therapist to realize that there were things in the relationship. There were dynamics there that were not, that didn't work for uh, a a partnership, a romantic partnership like that. Um, and I had to make the very hard decision at that point to look at what he was capable of um, and what I was capable of, you know, like were we at the core sort of incompatible? And, and, and the answer was yes, because in a lot of ways, and this is a lot for this episode, um, but, you know, I married my mother when I married him. So I'm, I'm sort of, I, I came to the realization that being loved looked a certain way based on my imprint, you know, with, with my, the way I was parented. And that's not really a healthy way to be loved. Like I was sort of living out all of that. Eckhart Tolle says pain body. Um, I mean, my parents were great. Don't get me wrong, but there were, you know, there were dynamics in there in my relationship with them that was, that were not resolved. I had not individuated and I was not coming to this marriage from a mature, whole, integrated place. I was carrying all my childhood crap with me and he was too. And most of us are, but when it came down to it, it was like, yeah, I, you know, I, I think this is the, the, we are limited. The two of us together are limited and we can both be, and listen, we, you know, I credit him, both of us, but you know, I'm the one who hurt him. I mean, it was devastating at the time. And, uh, and we, we were great. We managed to just sort of adopt an attitude that this is, you know, it's not the end of, the relationship. It's not the end of the partnership. We're just, you know, changing the, the form of it. And, um, really to this day, when something happens, we call each other, you know, we're, we're, we've both been in, you know, other relationships since. And, but he really is, he's like, you know, my number one go-to in a lot of ways. That's so beautiful. You know, I, I was with a guy in my 20s for seven years. We didn't get married, but we I, I met him at a time in my life where things were just a total disaster. And he kind of became like my rock. And it kind of just put us on that path where he was always my rock. I mean, he even took care of my mom while she was dying. Like, And we did end up breaking up. And he's like my one of my best friends. He loves my husband. Yeah. Uh, whenever he calls, if, if my husband's around, they'll talk and I'll be like, give me the phone back, you know? And oh, I it's so, that. it's so lovely. He calls every year. My mom's been dead for 27 years. It'll be 27. Well, it's 27 years this year. He's never not called on her death anniversary. So sometimes it just works out better. Right. But in the moment yes. you're just devastated. Well, and we have all these expectations of, of how a divorce should look and how the end of a relationship should be. And you should hate each other and you should, Vic got in, he was in a, um, a relationship with someone who really had a very hard time, um, with the fact that we were, that he didn't hate me. I mean, she, she was very insecure and, um, and not skilled at handling her insecurity. And so it all got funneled, you know, vindictively towards me. Um, and 
I'll mention that Vic and I, it's not like we talk every day. There's nothing inappropriate going on. I mean, we go for long (laughs) periods of time without talking to each other. But she just, you know, in her head, people who are divorced hate each other. And if they don't hate each other, then there's residual feelings, unresolved feelings. And like, none of that really needs to be true, you know? Yeah, Yeah, we got to shift that paradigm because it's not, it's not, it's not healthy. I want to talk about how... You say radical also means fundamental. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, radical, I go through a bunch of definitions of, of the term radical because it's actually gotten a little bit trendy. But the, the fact is, is that when something is radical um, and the way I, I mean to use it in the title of this book, and really the title of the book is the my sort of model of intimacy that's developed over the years of of working with people to get connected to themselves and each other and the world at large. Um, Radical is both sort of systemic, you know, like top to bottom, you, you have like a, you know, they talk about like a, a, a radical mastectomy, by the way, is like, you know, getting rid of everything and getting in and getting to the, um, what, they believe might be the root of disease. Um, but it's also, or, or like a total makeover, you know, like when you think about renovating a house, you know, you'll do like a radical renovation and you're taking the house to the studs, you know, and then you're getting way into the, all of the systems. Um, but it's also, getting all the way to the core, you know, like the very fundamental, like just pairing it all back and getting really to the, the sort of the foundation of ourselves and, um, and then working back, building back the way we sort of inhabit our lives. Is that too obtuse? Is that no, 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 I get it. Sometimes that means, um, so sometimes that means, uh, even stepping back from relationships, stepping back from the way we do things, our habits, our, you know, all the, the, the way we um, speak to people, the way we um, communicate with friends, the way we, you know, have sort of systems and habits and routines in our lives that sort of numb us out to what we're really experiencing. And so, Radical just sort of means like, you know, baby steps are great, but like maybe have a total redo and open up great possibility for having a completely different experience of life. I also like that you break it down. You've got three kinds of intimacy, emotional, physical, and energetic. And then you've got the three levels of intimacy, self, other, and world. I want people to get the book, but if you can just touch on those a little bit. Sure. Um, So... Yeah. So, and this is really, I mean, this is what the radical intimacy model of, of connection and relating and living is really all about. And this is, this is the, the basis of the book. Um, and there is a matrix where I grid it out like a bingo card. So the three kinds of intimacy, um, emotional, physical, and energetic are along the top of the card and up the side are self, other, and world. And so you grid that out and you get these nine areas of opportunity to cultivate intimacy or connection, right? Physical intimacy with yourself, uh, physical intimacy with another, physical intimacy with the world, and the same for emotional and energetic. And so we're all a little bit more comfortable in some of those squares than others. Um, but the ones that we're most uncomfortable with are the, uh, they, they give us the most opportunity for growth and to see a real shift in our lives, you know? Um, so, you know, emotional intimacy, it's experiencing um, emotion and recognizing, articulating, expressing and accepting uh, the feelings, the moods, the, the sentiments of ourselves and others. Um, you know, I think empathy um, is a huge, you know, a huge 
piece of emotional intimacy, being able to really feel in, see somebody else, see their experience and either imagine what it would be like to be them or, um, or remember a similar situation, you know, where you had feelings and, and they probably are having something along those lines. Um, but also there's a cognitive understanding with emotional intimacy that we don't, we're like, we don't really know so often the, the nuance of our emotions unless we take that on and do that work. I'll often ask like a client, how do you feel about that? And the answer is like good or not good with no ability to really go any further with that, you know? And so in the book, I give a lot of tools and the a wheel of emotion that is sort of You'll see that on the intimate, on the internet, if you, on the intimate, that's a funny. That is good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can Google wheel of emotion and you'll get uh, several different versions. And I've sort of refined that um, to where I, I like it. Um, And that's in the book as well. But there's like, you know, there's sort of um, emotional skill that you can develop, um, that applies to yourself and others. Um, And that's sort of also needed for emotional intimacy. If we're going to share something, we better know what it is we're sharing. Yes. Right? Yeah. Physical intimacy is the experience of, of connecting, you know, and, and getting familiar with our own physicality as well as others. Um, You know, sex is one form of physical intimacy, but like, Do you know where your pancreas is? Where is it in your body? And what is it doing? What's its role? You know, do you know what the physical sensations are when you eat a delicious piece of fruit? You know, there's a lot physical intimacy. Think about standing in an elevator shoulder to shoulder with someone like there's a physical intimacy there. Um, And, uh, and then energetic is a whole other, you know, realm. And I, I don't, that's my term. And I think I don't hear people talking about energetic intimacy. And it's something that I think is um, hugely powerful and potentially revolutionary for us. Like it's a distinction that can mean a lot to us and create opportunities of, of great change and shift and connection where we normally wouldn't have it. Well, I met this woman recently and she had the best energy. I mean, I was sitting in a park and I was making dandelion chains, which I used to make daisy chains in college and I hadn't done it in years. And I'm walking back to my car and she's just got this huge smile on her face and I could like feel the love. And I love talking to strangers. I mean, that's how I make most of my friends. And (laughs) she just started talking to me and we just, she's like, that's so nice that you're doing that. And, and then we start chatted and she's like, Oh, have you ever been to this farm in town? And blah, blah, blah. It turns out she owns it. She gave me a tour and she kept touching my arm and I loved it because I'm that type of person. I'm very touchy. And what was nice is like, she's like, she could tell, she was like, I could tell that this is okay. And that might sound weird, but like, you know, when you have that connection with somebody, yeah. Yeah. Like she didn't have to ask me, is it okay if I touch your arm yes. a lot? And I was yes. in heaven. <laughs> it was I great. love that. So that's when I think of energy. I think of somebody who's just like beaming with love and support and joy. And yes. there's just this openness about them, right? Yes. Yeah, they're available, right? Yes. They're available. They're available. Yeah. They're out there. They're available. They've taken the the mask off or the, you know, the, the, the force field bubble is released. It was um, beautiful. Yeah. I love that too. It's so nice when you can meet somebody like that. There was something in your book and it was, it was, I almost feel bad bringing it up because you said you teared up even just writing about Uh, it, but you, you share a story about your yellow and green parakeet Barney that you had when you were six. And you talk about something called witness consciousness. And I just have to say your dad was amazing. We talked before the show that he had passed and I'm very sorry. But oh my God, there's so many parents who would have screwed that up and really like, put some heavy duty, like lifelong trauma on you. Yeah. I mean, it was very traumatic. Um, Yes. I mean, in and of itself is what I mean, but the way he handled it didn't add to that. Yeah. I I know. I mean, it really is 
I mean, and I say in the book, like I could tell you stories about my dad being much more clumsy and far less graceful as a parent. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't perfect, but but he really, he did, he, he got this. And, and my dad was very emotional. Like he, he was, um, Oh, I don't know. It's too, it's very complicated. People are so complicated, right? But he was, he was great with me and my sister, like incredibly loving and accessible and nurturing as a dad. We had a pet parakeet and we were rushing around. I was trying to get to ballet and, and, uh, I was six, I think. And, um, and I, and the bird loved to hang out on the floor and it, it just, we had, we always had birds. My father was very uh, experienced bird person and he, we, this bird just loved to be on the floor and, and nobody trained him not to do that. And um, it, he met with his demise that day um, under my foot as we were getting ready for ballet Um, And my dad was, I use that story in the book to talk about the the emotional skill that my dad brought to this episode. And um, it really, it's very, for me, it was a very moving moment to sort of deconstruct that and realize how well he did with me and how essentially, I mean, you know, it, that episode, that was horrible. It was one of the, you know, I mean, 10 most influential moments in my, certainly my childhood. Um, and it could have been a huge scar that I carried around for a long time, but he did a great job. Did you have questions? Oh, I was just curious about for because I'd mentioned the term witness consciousness. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you use that story to illustrate that. Okay, so you talked about three key aspects of emotional independence: cultivating witness consciousness, owning your shit, and taking responsibility for the impact. So, yeah, well, in in that particular story, so he he took me out. He we didn't go to ballet. We um. We went, he took me for ice cream, which was like his medicine for everything. Um, so we went and got an ice cream cone and we sat on the curb outside the the ice cream parlor and talked about how shitty it feels to cause harm and and to be the be the the source of pain and suffering and and the nature of accidents and um, and then, you know, he took responsibility for his part in that scenario. Like, you know, we were rushing around and there wasn't enough time and we should have maybe done that a little bit differently or, he, you know, and then, um, he, then there was also like the idea that he could have trained the bird not to be on the floor. Like we were all like, oh, isn't that cute? He likes to ride around on feet. Well, you know, he might have had the forethought as the adult in the situation to say, you know, that this is not, this is a, you know, disaster waiting to happen. Um, and even keeping birds in the house, you know, a bird is a wild animal and we keep it in the house. You know, our birds had a lot of free reign in the house. They were hardly, and as you can see, <laughs> right, they were not kept in cages very often. I mean, they they slept in cages and had their own little den, but um, they were part of the family. And so, you know, there's there's like all of that. So he gave me a context that was much larger than oh my god, I'm I'm the six year old little girl who just stepped on her bird and killed it. You know. It was a big, um, a big con- con- context, and so that is w- witness consciousness, being able to observe ourselves having the emotion. I mean, according to Ramdas, um, who's one of my teachers, um, yeah, I mean, being able to to not to to have the the emotion, to have the experience, to have the drama, but also be able to step back and and witness ourselves having the drama, so that we're not just sort of immersed. And 
that's a basic Buddhist concept as well, relative reality and absolute reality. Yeah. Um, now, I think people can probably guess what owning their shit means, but if you want to expand on that a little bit and, and yeah. exactly what you think is so important about that and how it yeah. helps with in- intimacy. Yeah. Well, I touch on this in, in telling this story, but I can say much more about it here. Um, there are, you know, another thing that my dad did was that he he took responsibility like in in sort of setting the context and in he let me have my feelings about it it was awful he didn't say don't feel what you're feeling yes oh my god it's awful ugh um and he also owned his shit i you know i could have i was part of this equation i take responsibility for my piece of this puzzle that ended up creating a situation in which you little girl got to kill a bird, you know, like that was really um, big. And I can imagine over and over and I watch myself parenting. There are times when it's just so easy to say, can I say what the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) What did you do? What were you thinking? Right. You know, and like, and, and how, um, shaming that is for a kid how how damaging it is for a kid to have a parent when when really so often when i'm saying that it's like where was i in all of this you know like i'm juggling a million things i'm writing a book i'm you know i've got my clients i've got this that and the other thing and i'm trying to parent and the, the you know like so the fact that we you know, we take responsibility. It, it, this is a huge owning your owning your own shit is a huge thing, and um, and it comes up in not just parenting, of course, but relationships uh, as well. You know, like our our romantic relationships, where um, you know somebody's feeling something and they're not owning it, they're not taking responsibility for their own feelings, and then they're essentially handing it to someone else because if you're if you've got feelings in the room and you're not willing to feel them someone's got to feel them and that's you're having your your partner do the emotional labor of the relationship yeah you know in the book you have so many great examples and the last of the three we were talking about is taking responsibility for the impact i love nick and shoba's story and i thought that was just it was interesting T- tell us a little bit about that they're so sweet um, yeah, so Nick and Shoba, um, have been divorced a year. Um, Shoba, uh, then, and Nick le- left her, Nick ended the relationship and Shoba had always, um, I guess prior to Nick, she had had a, a, a relationship with a woman or had an encounter with a woman and she had a very strict religious upbringing and she didn't really want to face her sexual orientation. She was essentially bisexual and, but she was happy to meet Nick and they had a, a, you know, marriage, they were married and they didn't have any kids. And at one point for reasons that had nothing to do with her sexual orientation, they ended the marriage. A year later, she decided to dip a toe in the water. And that's actually when she came to me, um, to talk about that and explore that and approach it from a, a powerful and skillful place. Um, and so she ended up take, dating a woman and taking her to a restaurant that Nick and Shoba had gone to together often. And they ran into Nick and Nick was surprised. Um, and, and, you know, at first d- deflection, right? Nick is upset that Shoba's dating and hadn't let, him know, especially if she's going to go to the restaurant they always went to. And Shoba was like, what? What? Like, really? You left me. Like, I'm going to tell you about my dating life. And he called her the next day and they sort of had it out and he was really upset. And she, uh, it dawns on her. There's something that he says and it dawns on her that he's upset that she's with a woman. And 
the reason why he's 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 not it's not a philosophical problem that he has it's the fact that he's he spent the entire marriage feeling insecure that she was going to leave him for a woman or that she's going to want a woman and so she all of a sudden it clicks for her and she instead of getting defensive instead of saying what are you doing putting all these rules on me and you're being ridiculous and uh, you know i don't owe you anything and all of that none of that she 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 takes responsibility for her for the impact that she had and she says you know i i'm I want to let you know, like, I, I get it. And I wasn't lying to you for all those years. I, I wanted to be with you. I wasn't thinking about leaving you. I wasn't fantasizing about women. I was, you know, it's like I'm, and he was able to then say, yeah, you know what? I feel like seeing you with a woman, it justified all my fear, my fears all those years. And they had a really beautiful, like healing. They ended up doing a whole ritual too, you know, like to kind of like, I don't know, cut the cord or that sounds terrible. But like, um, I mean, that term is used in a different sort of a different context, but to complete to complete their relationship in a way that felt much more complete without this sort of hanging around this unresolved. Um, yeah. yeah. And so the, the, the taking responsibility for impact was her, was Shoba really being able to say like, I did nothing wrong here. I'm just doing the best I can and I'm living my life. And I certainly didn't intentionally hurt Nick, but the reality of my life and what I'm doing and my process and the path that I'm walking had an impact on a person that I cared very much about. And I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to own that. You know, yes, this is what is. And I see how it impacted you. And, and that was, that's all Nick needed was to be seen. He didn't need her to change anything or do anything differently. He just really needed to be seen. I know. We all need to be seen, right? And it, it, there's just so many obstacles with, like we started out at the beginning with, we're all running around and constantly distracted and not wanting to deal with, with painful issues. And that's why your book is so incredible because not only do you give us great examples, but you actually, and, and give us these stories that are so relatable, but you have exercises, exercises for cultivating emotional, physical intimacy, you know, all the three and the energetic, which is great. You have it with yourself, you have it with others, you have it with the world. I thought that was so interesting. Touch on that for us. Yeah. Um, I, my, <laughs> I think that that's sort of the obvious thing when we're talking about being connected, right? We can talk about being you know, we think of intimacy, most of us tend to think of intimacy as something that requires the participation of someone else, right? But the fact is, is that intimacy really starts with ourselves. So when we go from, you know, it's almost like going from the micro to the macro, we, we have that connection with ourselves and then we're able to interact with someone else and, and get connected on a deep level. And then there's also the, the context of the world that we live in. So, you know, that, that can be big swaths of the population, you know, like they're like, think of, the pandemic has really, I mean, if we've taken the opportunity and not put blinders on, there's so much suffering in the world. There has been in the last couple of years that it's really hard to ignore. And there's a certain intimacy when we look at footage of, of, you know, frontline workers or people who are suffering with the illness or family members who have had to like, you know, let go of loved ones, not even in the same room. You know, there's just a lot of opportunity there for an intimacy on a level that we haven't seen before. Ukraine is another situation. Like with all the technology, we can connect. So let's, you know, let's do it in a way that's um, intentional and impactful, you know. Also, there's an aspect, if you think of like when we're born, 
you know, the first few months of our lives, we have no language, we have very limited cognitive function, you know, we're not developed in that way, our brain's still developing. Um, We meet the world through our five senses. And so that's a huge piece of cultivating intimacy with the world is like really allowing the world to penetrate you through the vehicle of your five senses. And so, you know, getting in touch with um, the temperature of the room, the quality of light in the room, what do you hear? What do you taste? What do you, what do you smell? Right? Like all of those things, you know, we, we, we sort of numb out all of that because our brains are so developed. But if we learn how, I mean, that's mindfulness. It's a little, mindfulness is such a, it's a little bit of a misnomer, you know, it sh- should be called mindlessness, less mindness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if we like, if we, if we are willing to just stop thinking so much, stop assigning meaning to so much, all of that. And we just sort of be here now, you know, be present in the moment and really stop trying to interpret everything and just be with what is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I'm really big on mindful eating. Yeah. So when you're talking about that, like I get really into it, you know, just close my eyes, savor, you know, I'll watch my daughter just like inhale something special and I'm like, could you save her? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's yeah. really nice. But yes, so you're talking to a teenager. They're like, rah, 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 rah. Um, I, I want to talk about in part three. I love in physical intimacy. You, you have great drawings. You've got anatomy 101. Then you've got vulva versus vagina. You've got anatomy of the vulva, penis anatomy, labia size, desire versus arousal, which I want to stop there because I think that's so important. But it's really great. And you have all these different types of arousal and orgasms and G-spots. And But what's the difference between desire and arousal? Yeah. Um, desire is the, um, the want to have sex. Desire lives in the, in the, you know, in the brain, but between the ears, you know, like I, I want it's eroticism. I want to, um, have sex or I want to have sex with myself or whoever, right. It's that drive. Um, uh, arousal is the physical response, to sexual stimulation. They're actually two completely different things. And they're often, they happen at the same time. You can often like have arousal, you're, you know, horny or whatever. I haven't used that term in, you know, decades, <laughs> but you know, you're, you're wanting to have sex and your body responds to that and becomes aroused. Um, but they're not, you know, you can, you can actually um, have desire and the body doesn't become aroused, right? I mean, that happens all the time with erectile dysfunction or, um, uh, you know, a number of different scenarios. Um, And it's also confusing because your body, especially like with sexual assault, sometimes it's really confusing for survivors of sexual assault because their body responded to something that they didn't want to be happening. And that's a really... um, hard to be with sometimes, you know, it needs a little bit of special care and attention to sort of unwind that. And, um, but yeah, I think we don't really necessarily break that down. And one of the parts, I mean, I cover all that in the book and I, and I sort of myth bust and give illustrations and things because it's another area where we have so much shame and so much like, you know, we, how many of us really look at our own genitals in the mirror, you know, it's like, um, and, and so, you know, I think that we have to be able to know our bodies and master our instrument of pleasure in order to really, you know, get intimate with ourselves and each other. Yeah, I think so too. I want to talk a little bit more about the energetic. Uh, This was interesting. Uh, You write, the conflation of energy and emotion has led to one of the biggest limited beliefs in our culture. There is persuasive conviction that women become emotionally attached to the sexual partners and categorically require emotional intimacy in order to enjoy sex. That's so pervasive. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I think I'm going to push a lot of buttons, a lot of women's oh, buttons. I do Please all do. the time. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand that, that 
that some people want to uh, are really insistent that they have that the best sex is sex that they are emotionally where there's like an emotional connection and where there's um, love and uh, and and really what people are saying by love is they're they're calling commitment a contract love. And so there's a lot of confusion in there. There are a lot of threads to pull in this. But here's what I'm going to say. And this is a this is a whole chapter. And and I build this argument um, sort of in stages. Um, so I feel strongly that there's this other kind of intimacy that is super powerful and healthy and respectful and loving um, that I call energetic intimacy. And, and what that is, is being able to connect with someone beyond the story, beyond the meaning, beyond the, the masks we wear, beyond the personality, beyond all of that. You know, this is just soul to soul. And I do it. I mean, it exists because I facilitate experiences for people in workshops all day long where um, I have people connect just by eye gazing and just by I guide them through an experience where they are so deeply connected and they don't even know each other. Um, and that is to be able to access that. Um with sex is a whole different realm of sex. And honestly, the kind of sex that I hear people craving, I want to have that like soul stirring, mind blowing experience of sex. It's, it's not emotional. It's not emotional. It's an energetic, a physical, it's your nervous system. It's letting go of all the meaning. It's letting go of all the ideas and the anxiety about what this means or whether I look good enough or I find, it's none of that. And so when I talk to women and I say, you could have the most powerful, the most intimate, the most soul-stirring sex that you've ever had with someone you don't even know. And I'm not like saying like, go, you know, have indiscriminate sex that is not healthy and self-destructive and all of that. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that we in this culture teach women, we teach women that it's only okay to have sex if you're in love. Yep. And we don't teach that to men, by the way. No, we don't. And so there's that dif that there's that difference. Then women sort of have this conflicted relationship with men who don't sort of embody that, like, I need to love this person. It, it's just all screwy. There's a disconnect. Then there's the men will be men kind of thing. Like, oh, uh, then there are women who are like, I don't, you know, I'm not attracted to the nice guy. I really, I'm, I'm attracted to the hot asshole. And like, there's just so much disconnect and limiting beliefs around this whole thing. If we just gave women permission to have fabulous sex that's healthy and wonderful and respectful and consensual and, and, and empowering um, that doesn't require a social contract of some sort of partnership or storyline, we would all be much better here. Oh my gosh. You're like singing my song. You are fantastic. <laughs> Zoe Kors, you have to come back. I mean, there's so much, I mean, you can hear just from the interview and we barely scratched the surface. There's so much in this book. It is a must read radical, radical, <laughs> radical <laughs> intimacy, cultivate the deeply connected relationships. And you, I can't even read, cultivate the deeply connected relationships you deserve, desire and deserve Zoe Kors. All right, Zoe, is there anything you wanted to add today before our next interview? <laughs> <laughs> you'll come back. <laughs> I would love to come back. I oh, would good. love to come back. And I, I, I sort of dipped a toe in the water of what you're all about. And, and I'm so excited. You wrote a book, did you? Yes, I did. Clean Eating Dirty Sex. And let Hi. me tell you, I did not, I, I, I thought people would get that it's a pun. The book's not about dirty sex, which if it is, that would be fine. Yeah. But I had a really hard time getting booked on shows. Uh, and I got on four big serious shows, which was amazing. 
because that audience is more open, you know, and they're more intrigued. But yeah. middle of the country, barely anybody. Yeah. And what was so sad is a book is really about how to improve your sexual health through what you're eating, through yeah. movement, through communication, uh, taking, you know, good care of yourself. There's a whole chapter on skincare because I'm obsessed with like natural skincare and yeah. chemical free stuff. There's a over, oh, excuse me, over 50 recipes, over 50 experts. It's part memoir. I share like a really yeah. traumatic thing that happened. And then there's like lots of humor. And it's just sad because of the word dirty with sex. People just are like, nope, not for me. And I'm not yeah. trying to convince you to get it. I'm just trying to say like, don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah, it it is. It's, it's. It's very interesting. I, I just have to say and, and like validate you and, and I like welcome to my world. Yes. Um, I'm or sure. I'm in the same world as you. Yeah. Um, it's, there's so much uh, shame and stigma and it's crazy. I appreciate what you're doing and I feel like I've met a comrade. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm feeling your energy and I'm excited and yeah. I, I've just, I'm so glad that's really sweet of you to bring up my book. And yeah, when I got yours, I was like, oh my gosh, this, this woman totally gets it. And such a, it's such a gift because so many people are struggling in these areas yeah. you know, in their lives. And, and this is really going to help them. So tell us all the ways we can find you well, Zoe, in your great book. Can I also take just one 30 seconds? Oh my I God. Yes. Yeah, say sure. One of the things that I, that I really feel is important and I want people to know is that the book is really inclusive. Um, I feel really committed. I mean, it's just, it's part of my, my, my mission, my, just part of who I am really that, um, that everybody matters and everybody deserves to have a great sex life and everybody deserves to love themselves and be intimate with themselves. And I don't care what you who you want to have sex with. I don't care what body parts you have. I don't care what, what gender you express. If any, <laughs> I don't care. None of it. Um, and so I've, I've really tried my hardest to word and I, I had some, I hired some sensitivity readers to kind of check me on, but yeah, like I just, I just want people to know that this is a book and if I've gotten something wrong, tell me, you know, I'm, I'm, I really, I want to know. I don't want to be out there causing harm. Oh, um, no. I mean, I, I can tell you, I read every word and I'm not an expert on that, but I know enough. I'm, I'm in the, I'll put this way. I'm in that world. And I know I, you were fabulous. Oh, well, thank you. And I had some great readers who were like, say it this way instead of this way. And um, so people can find me at zoecores.com, Z-O-E-K-O-R-S.com. And that's kind of the hub. Um, you can buy my book on Amazon or Audible or I read it myself. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I need to do that. Yeah. I do that with mine. Well, you are so great. And I can't wait till our next conversation, Zoe. All right, everybody, get the book, Radical Intimacy, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Health Power. Tell all your friends and family and keep coming back. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.